Cool. I don't know whether you noticed that, uh, that um, line we sang in one of the songs, when, when the enemy tells me I'm done, uh, I sing your praises. And uh, I, I want to talk a bit um, about spiritual warfare. I talked on that a little uh, few weeks back, uh, the spiritual armour we started. And to be honest, I'll be completely honest, I forgot it was Mother's Day. Uh, my mum's with the Lord now, and I completely forgot. So Isaac in the second service, you can go out now if you want and come back for that one. He's doing thankfulness, and he'll include being thankful for mums. And what am I talking about? The father of lies. So, so, it's not, it's, so uh, for, forgive me that it's kind of, it's biblically appropriate, but in terms of the church calendar, I, I basically messed it up. So, uh, so my, my apologies uh, for that. Um, but the Christian life, uh, you don't have to be a Christian very long to realise that Christian life's kind of lived in a conflict zone. And we're very well aware from our television screens that living in a conflict zone is far from easy. There's hardships, there's difficulty, you're aware of, of conflict. And um, we have p- periods where, I mean, I love the Christian life, uh, but sometimes it's tough. And sometimes I'm aware of conflicts that before I was a Christian, I wasn't even aware of because I just gave in. And, uh, but so, so the Christian life can be, uh, can be tough. And so the last time we looked at the spiritual armour in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and we saw that the battle's not against flesh and blood. Sometimes it can feel like you're battling against people, but, but actually our real battle is not against people. It's against spiritual wickedness, the Bible says. And that kind of conflict imagery is quite common in the New Testament. Um, so Paul says when he writes to Timothy, uh, be like a good soldier. So it's a similar kind of picture, us battling, Jesus being our commanding officer, not getting too bogged down with civilian affairs. He talks about that kind of thing. Uh, when he writes to the Corinthians in, in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, we don't, we don't fight with worldly weapons. In other words, but we are fighting. Uh, and, uh, and he goes on to talk about bringing down strongholds in the mind. And uh, I don't know about you, but my, my, my sense of kind of being in a conflict zone is incredible. I'm getting old now. I'm 60. I'll be 62 next month. I know. You can't believe it. <laughs> Nobody's, no. Oh, thank you, Tom. Thank you. Uh, but but uh, my sense of being our society, being at, at war with Christian values has increased you know, when I was a kid, uh, it, was, it was very rare that there wasn't a mum and dad. I think there was one, one child in our class that didn't have a mum and a dad. And he was a kind of celebrity. Uh, now, that, that sadly is, is not the case today. M- many people are struggling to bring up their children on their own. And, 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 and they're here on Mother's Day. I just want to say anyone who's a single parent is a hero. Uh, it's it's hard, hard work. So I'm not getting at anyone. I'm just saying society has moved. Christians have moved from kind of being a respected, if not majority, then kind of the, the way we thought as a society was broadly Christian to a minority. And so people can feel, I don't know if you do sometimes, that our worldview gets a bit kind of squeezed. Uh, Paul, Paul wrote uh, to, I can't remember which letter it's in, and says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. There's a kind of sense sometimes of, will you follow the, will you follow the crowd or will you stick out like a sore thumb? You'd be at odds with the world. And and our place in culture, Christians' place in culture, with some notable, wonderful exceptions, has often moved from being a place of kind of honour to a place of being kind of slightly embarrassing. Uh, And uh, and on just occasionally, uh, Christians are seen as actually a threat 
to the kind of more secular, liberal values of our world. But we're called to live our Christian life in that context and to be a light in the midst of, of darkness. So where, where do we fit in? Is it interesting we, we get more of a feel for it in the New Testament? When, when Peter wrote his apostle, he talked about God's chosen people being like exiles. <laughs> in other words, you, you know, when you go to another country, you kind of... you you know you don't quite fit in. You, you can, I can be in conversations in Africa and suddenly they go into their own language and, and, and I'm kind of included, but I don't have a clue really what's going on. <laughs> what are they on about? Um, and, and sometimes it feels like that in the world for Christians. We feel like we, we kind of belong to another country. Yeah. And the reality is we do. <laughs> We're citizens of the kingdom of God, living our lives in a world that's partly the kingdom of God, but not completely and partly the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness. So that's the kind of conflict uh, we're in. So we're called to uh, live out different values, to be uh, a kind of alternative culture. So, so when we get on to kind of examples about the world, I, I, I'm not saying the world, I'm expecting the world to live completely differently. That would be naive. I'm saying we're an alternative to the ways of this world as we live our Christian uh, lives. So anyway, that's a long introduction. So uh, turn to John chapter uh, 8, and we're going to read from verse 31. And uh, I've got a prayer. It's written in 1549, just, just as you're looking that up. Uh, this was the prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, 1549. From all the deceits, of the world, the flesh, and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. That's a great prayer, isn't it? From all the deceits, the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. And the kind of, the broad context of this talk and this kind of little mini-series, which is too safe, I have no idea how long it'll be, but anyway, but this little mini-series is, is this. It is, there's three things there, the world, the flesh and the devil, people used to talk about, didn't they? And this is the kind of broad idea is that in our world there are deceitful ideas, lies, but deceitful ideas that have a source in Satan or the devil. And those deceitful ideas actually really appeal to us. You know the old thing, naughty but nice. They appeal to us, otherwise we wouldn't keep falling for them. They, they appeal to, to what the Bible calls our flesh. They appeal to our appetites, but they're, so we're in conflict, but they're accepted as pretty normal in the world. So, so, so the world has, accepts those ideas, they appeal to us and we're in a conflict and their source is evil. So with that in mind, let's read John 8 verse 31 onwards. To the Jews... Who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my dis, uh, teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Don't think they'd read their Old Testament recently because there was a bit about Egypt in there. And then they went to exile in Babylon and currently they're under occupation by the Romans but anyway that's what they're thinking uh, we're not slaves of anyone how can you say we'll be set free Jesus replied very truly I tell you anyone who sins is a slave to sin so he's talking about spiritual freedom uh, now a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever uh, so if the son sets you free you'll be free indeed 
I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you've heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would, you would do what Abraham did. Abraham had faith and trusted God and believed. They don't. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the work of your own father. We're not Ill illegitimate children, they protested, poking the finger at Jesus and his, his birth, uh, uh, kind of with a question mark over who was his father. So they're, they're poking at him. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God would, was your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And this is where Jesus gets dead blunt. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, we're, we're not a very kind of devil-centric church uh, because it's not an equal battle, Jesus is Lord. But I just want to look for a, a few moments this morning at Satan, the father of lies. Um, they're talking about, Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom and spiritual slavery. And he's saying to them that you're captive to what he calls the devil, Diabolos. There is a devil, that's the first point. Uh, I mean, I, I was thinking this morning, I remember, do you remember Tom and Jerry cartoons? Uh, kind of, they're very un-PC now because of all the violence. But anyway, there used to be, every now and again, uh, in some of the editions, there used to be, when, when Tom or Jerry was tempted to do something really wicked, uh, uh, there, there'd be a little cartoon devil would appear, it was always a cartoon mouse devil, would appear on his shoulder with a pointy tail and little sticky up ears and a pitchfork and, uh, and that kind of imagery and sometimes medieval painting is kind of metaphoric picture language, it's kind of like, like that and it leads people to kind of think, well these things aren't real, they're just, they're just cartoons, they're just just pretends. So, so it's worth just making the fairly obvious point, actually there, there is a devil. The Greek word is diabolos, or literally the accuser. Uh, who is it this morning who said, oh, you, you shouldn't come to church, or you can't really join in, join in the worship, or you don't really belong here. All those kind of things that, that go through our mind, those accusations, they, they come from the tempter. Elsewhere is called the evil one, the tempter, the deceiver, the destroyer, the prince of this world, that kind of thing. There is a devil. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3 verse 9. Let me just... 1 John 3 verse... That's not the right verse. Verse 8, is it? Oh yeah, the one who is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3 verse 8, thank you. So there is a devil, but Jesus came to destroy his work. And that really, as we lead up to Easter, is what the cross was all about. Colossians 2 verse 15 is a wonderful, uh, wonderful verse 
2 verse 14 and 15 really, Jesus cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. All, all the legal charge, all the times you've not done what God wanted, all the times when you've gone your own way, all the times when you've rebelled or haven't done what you knew God wanted, that, those charges against us, uh, he cancelled the charge and which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, he nailed it to the cross. Imagine you're in massive debt, which, which you were. You didn't honour God the way you should do. You owe him a massive debt. And Jesus on the cross, just as he was nailed to the cross, that, all that debt was pinned to the cross, as it were, and laboured, labelled, pay, paid in full. And then it says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Jesus didn't just beat our sin on the cross, he beat Satan and all evil forces on the cross. It's, it's the triumph of Jesus. Jesus, the victorious one, the victorious one there in Colossians 2 verse 15. So there is a devil, but Jesus is victorious over him. But we know the enemy is still very active on planet Earth. He's still, uh, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, the devil still prowls around, though his time is limited. He prowls around looking for people to devour. It's very vivid imagery of, of, of Satan wanting to destroy uh, believers. Not a cartoon character, but a spiritual, uh, a spiritual being. And to, to me, I know it sounds kind of old fashioned to so many people in this world, but when I read my newspaper or turn on the news, it kind of makes sense of everything I see. Not the picture language, not the metaphors, but what, what I see, the, the fact that in this world, this world is magnificent, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. It speaks of a God. The heavens declare the glory of God. But it's also horrible and nasty and there's wickedness and destruction. There's temptation, accusation, both large scale, as we see it on our own continent at the moment, but also small scale in our lives and in the lives of those we know and love as well. So it makes sense. So some people say, well, it sounds uh, weird, but, but my, my feeling is this. Jesus and the Bible knows something that the Western world misses. Other parts of the world actually are very aware of spiritual issues, but the Western world has become very materialistic. If you can't measure it, if it isn't scientific, it's not real. Actually, lots of things aren't scientific, but they're real. And, and, and this is a reality that the Bible uh, speaks of very clearly. C.S. Lewis, a uh, great quote from him, well known. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I don't think we're in danger of that. Maybe, maybe the first, but rather than the second. But, so there is a devil. Secondly, the devil's goal is spiritual death. He says here in verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. That's such a contrast to Jesus. John 10 verse 10, I may come so you may have life, spiritual life, everlasting life, Satan has come and he's a murderer from the beginning. So uh, C.S. Lewis again says, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Uh, Jesus said elsewhere that, that um, the devil's like a sheep thief. He comes to steal, he comes to destroy. 
The spiritual source of division and rebellion and destruction, indulgence and lies, etc. So there we go. Thirdly, the devil uses lies. Jesus says time and time again in this passage, I've spoken you the truth, but you don't believe me. I've spoken the truth, but you don't believe me. The truth will set you free, but you don't believe me. And then he talks about Satan, who is the father of lies. He says in the passage we read, uh, he, lies are his native language. That's a, that's a really vivid way of putting it. So our fight, often our spiritual warfare, is to believe truth over lies. But, but here's the difficulty. Sometimes we think lies are truth. <laughs> Sometimes we are deceived. Our, our, the fact is our, our minds are full of ideas, aren't they? about right and wrong, about what will make us happy. Uh, and we can be deceived. We can think a lie is the truth. So, so uh, uh, Satan tells us individual personal lies. How many of us have thought, have thought I haven't been very sex successful in, in a career, therefore I'm not worth much? You ever, ever thought that? Well, that's one lie that people tell. I'm, I'm only as good as I am successful at work. That, that's a lie. How about this one? This is a common one. I'm ugly because I don't look like X, Y, Z on Instagram or Facebook. That, that's, that's one that people believe. Or I have to be perfect to be accepted. That's another one. I'm, a, I'm basically unlovable. But, well, where did, where did that come from? God put you together in your mother's womb. You're basically lovable. Do you see what do you see? Uh, uh, How about this one? I really need alcohol to relax. I need it. Well, I know Friday night is quite nice, but we don't actually need it. They're all kind of lies, and there'll be, there may be uh, other ones I, I'm never going to manage. All sorts of different, different things, big personal lies. Then there are big national lies, and I could pick on different uh, examples. I could, I could think about racism. Uh, and the destruction racism has caused. Go to a country like Rwanda, go to the genocide uh, museum there, or on our own continent in the Second World War, you see the destructive force of, of racism when another group is personified as evil, often linked with nationalism. And, and we're seeing some of that again in our own continent now. It becomes an evil force, a big cultural national lie. Here's another one. I haven't got time to go into it in detail, but, but how, how about this? Our, 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 um, our culture's view of sexuality over the last 50 year, years ago. So 50, 60 years ago, sex was basically for inside man. I know that it didn't always happen like that because we're people, uh, but sex was basically for inside marriage. But then it got separated from marriage. Uh, uh, but then it was basically for one person or if you're really naughty, one person at a time. But, but now, not in our church, please God, but now it's kind of hookup culture. Sex is recreation. So, so the meaning of sex becomes less important. So if it's less important, maybe it's okay to take what you want. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? These are all lies that have become quite common in our society. Previously, because of our Christian heritage, promiscuity was seen as wrong and harmful. Now, if you watch even pretty good sitcoms, it's normalised. That's just the way things are. We live in a kind of Tinder culture. where, And then sex gets separated from romance. It's all about my needs or this person's needs. 
Do you see what I mean? And, and then you take, so can you see what's happening in our societies? We kind of, there's a bit of a spiral of lies. And then sex then gets separated from male and female. And, and then actually sex even gets, biological sex gets separated from gender. And, 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 and no, that's a massive seminar and there are complex issues in there. And I know that I've handled them shallowly. I know that. So, uh, but what, here's the thing. All these things are told on the grounds of happiness, freedom, and satisfaction. True? You'll, you'll be happy. You'll be satisfied. You'll be free. But here's my question. Are we any happier as a society? Are, are we any freer? Are we thriving? No. Why? Because we've fallen as a culture for loads of lies. So as Christians, we, now we're, we're prone to the same lies, but just knowing what's a lie and what's truth is really important because we're supposed to represent a different culture. Because the fruit of all these things has been struggling for friendships and intimacy, trauma, all sorts of things. A world where most people kind of seem to cohabit as a trial for a lifelong commitment. How you can trial a lifelong commitment, I'm not quite sure. But, um, and, and the reality is people that cohabit are much less likely to marry. And if they do marry, they're much more likely to divorce. That's what the statistics say. So, so, so our society has been sold lies. So anyway, so I've been off the soapbox. Now, that's just an illustration. That's not really what the sermon's about. I'm just saying there are little lies that come to us day by day. And there are big cultural lies uh, that other people are really shocked by. Go to Africa, Uganda, for example, I know best, much more still influenced by Christian thought. They're, they're appalled. And, and, and Western people offering aid often tie their aid to, to taking on our cultural lies. Do you see what I mean? We'll, we'll, we'll give you AIDS medicine, but only if you stop saying homosexuality is wrong or, or whatever. So, so there are lies, there are forces of evil in our world. Isn't it ironic that at the same time as Me Too last year, was it, or the year before, Me Too was big on the media, highlighting the issue of, of, of male abuse. At exactly the same time, the biggest hit was Fifty Shades of Grey, which was about inappropriate male sexual domination. Can you, can you see the irony there? At the same time as this is being pushed forward, other people are saying, hey, this is wrong, this is wicked. That's really I ironic. So um, uh, I'll finish with this quote. Mary Eberstadt, who wrote a book called Adam and Eve After the Pill. Uh, she said this, contrary to conventional depiction, the sexual revolution has proved a disaster for many men and women. Its weight has fallen on the smallest and weakest in society, even, it has, even as it has given extra strength to those already strongest and most predatory. So anyway, I forget, that's a bit heavy, heavy that bit. Sorry, we'll move on. <laughs> what, what do we say in conclusion to all, all this? Firstly, let's, let's, uh, uh, the, the whole aim of this talk is let's be aware of his schemes. So sometimes we just, we're not aware that we're being told lies. So I just want us to become a little bit more aware that, that when thoughts come into our head, they're not necessarily good. When we're told things, they're not necessarily true. So let's not fall for lies. How, how, do, we, how do we arm ourselves against that? Well, uh, firstly, read, or if you're not a reader, listen, because you can get podcasts and Bible recorded. Re listen, listen to the Bible. Because as you, as you 
dwell on truth, you become more aware of what's not true. <laughs> and I know sometimes you, you, you read a Bible, you think, oh, this bit's dull. Well, read another bit. It's, it's quite, quite simple, really. It's not rocket science. <laughs> read another bit. Uh, oh, well, that bit's really tricky. Well, look it up if you're a looker-upper. If not, read another bit. There's loads of truth in here. Read the truth. The, you know, they, they, I don't know if it's true or not, but they say that um, the way they train people who uh, deal with counterfeit um, checks and counterfeit banknotes is to, is to help make them study the real thing. You study the real thing, the real thing, the real thing, then you can spot what's not the real thing. The second thing is ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. He's not called the Holy Spirit for nothing. He will lead, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will lead you into truth. Sometimes, some, have you ever had the experience where you can't argue with someone because they're better at arguing than you, but you know it's not right? You just know in your knower. Sometimes that's your conscience, often it's the Holy Spirit. Just, I'm not comfortable here. I'm not. Let's, be, let's walk in step with the Spirit. Let's study the truth of God's word. And let's keep following Jesus. Stick close to Jesus. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and he'll set you free. Elsewhere he said, actually, I am the truth. Jesus embodies truth. For, for, for the writers of the New Testament, faith wasn't a blind leap into the dark. It was a lifestyle of just trusting in Jesus on the basis that he is true. And so as we do those three things, as we study the word of God given to us by our Father, as we, uh, as we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, as we live close to the Lord Jesus, there'll be times where he asks us to change our mind, to, speak, to believe the truth. And that's what the word repentance means, just to change our minds. So, strange sermon, but I think it's important. Spiritual warfare. Let's be aware of Satan's lies. So we're going to finish there. Can I pray for us? Father, we need your help. We just meet weak men and women. We're aware that we live in uh, conflicting times where our particular society has turned its back on you uh, and is, uh, loves ungodliness in many ways. But Lord, we ask you that we would uh, represent a different culture and a different kingdom, that we would uh, be children of light, uh, shining forth in a wicked gener generation. We ask for your help. We ask you as we read your word that you'd keep showing us the truth. Lead us into more truth, Father, and help us uh, without being quaint or weird to just follow your ways of truth. And I, I pray for those, Lord, who, who've fallen uh, fallen into um, lies even this week Lord as we hear about bills increasing and different things like that Lord some of us have believed the lie that we won't manage uh, that we're in some kind of danger we Lord we know there are, can be difficult times ahead but I, I pray uh, thank you that you've said you'll provide all our needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus so we choose to believe your truth, Lord. And I pray for those who think poorly of, uh, of, of what they look like, of, of who they are, the kind of, kind of abilities they have. And I thank you, Lord. We, we reject that lie in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that you put us together in our mother's womb, that you embroidered us, that you knew all the days of our life before one of them came to be. And so we trust your truth over the lie in Jesus' name. So help us this week, Lord, to stand on the truth 
uh, and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.